The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. If you have your Bible with you to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians, New Testament book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15 through 21, we'll be looking today at faith alone. And uh, we're in a series right now through the month of October, five Sundays in October of the five solas, the five onlys of the Reformation. And last week we looked at sola scriptura, the Bible alone is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. And today we'll look at faith alone in just one moment. I want to thank Jesse Shea and also Jeff Jones and all the other uh, gentlemen who've been reading scripture for us the last several weeks. Uh, In the coming weeks you're going to notice some faces who don't usually get up here to read scripture. So if I call you this week and say, hey... What you do on Sunday morning? And hey, would you like to read scripture? You can't refuse the pastor, right? Or you, Well, at least not in scripture reading, so I'm just kidding. But thank you guys for all your help, Jesse. Thank you and uh, for reading that as it relates to us this morning. You know, uh, we live in Liberty, and uh, one thing that we have is uh, uh, we have a Lamar's Donuts in Liberty. Now, if you've ever been there before, uh, hold on for you. Andy, do you want me to get the other mic, buddy? Okay. All right. We'll keep this one on. Uh, we, we have a Lamar's Donuts in Liberty. I'm just going to switch it off. All right, thank you. If you've heard of spiritual warfare before, this, this microphone is spiritual warfare every Sunday morning. We've, we rail against not against flesh and blood, against principles and powers and all that stuff. Uh, as you know, uh, there, if you've been to Liberty before, just uh, as you're heading towards downtown Liberty, there's a Lamar's Donuts. And this past week, or maybe it's just been a while since I've seen it, they opened up next to Lamar's Donuts a Liberty Nutrition Center. <laughs> I wish I had a picture, and I was so, so close to snapping that yesterday as our kids were driving around. But it just got me thinking, and I changed my opening illustration because I thought it related to our study today. But have you ever seen those church signs that kind of do one of those similar things? You know those church signs? You know what I'm talking about? You ever driven along and thought, man, that's really good. Can I give you some of those today? There is a point to this, I promise. Yeah, I put that one up intentionally. I'm glad you're reading the screen. Uh, Now's a good time to visit our pastors on vacation. Uh, Here's some of these famous church signs that are out there, and I'm glad. uh, Have trouble sleeping? We have sermons. Come hear one, you know. (laughs) My my son fell asleep. People are like tea bags. You have to put them in hot water, so... uh, that, I, I don't understand that one, guys. Um, come in and pray today. Beat the Christmas rush was on a church sign. Sign broken, message inside is what one sign said. Fight, oh my goodness, these drive me nuts. Fight truth decay, study the Bible daily. So that's supposed to be tooth decay. If you don't like the way you were born, try being born again. That's not bad. Don't wait for the hearse to take you to church. There you go, <laughs> Running low on faith? Stop in for a fill-up. Oh, man. Oh, ooh, no, let's not go there. We care about you. Sundays, 10 a.m. only, it says. So, <laughs> so really on a church sign. I grabbed these off pictures like this, guys. No, and I know you can make fake ones, but I promise you these appear to be very, very real. Why do I bring this up? Well, there was another church sign. 
almost 500 years ago that wasn't as funny, but was very, very serious, actually. And this is what it is. And Amy will put it up there for you. This is what it said. Unlike a funny church sign, it said, if anyone saith, that's old English, by this faith alone, absolution and justification are effected, let him be anathema. <laughs> In other words, if you believe anything that we're going to talk about today, let them be sent forever and ever and ever to a dark, dark place and never let them come back again. That was a church sign 500 years ago. Now, if you put that up today, most people would look at that and say, what in the world does that mean? But most people would say, that's really, really odd. Do you see how church signs have evolved over the years? Do you see that? Friends, here's an interesting church sign. This was affixed to every door in the known Roman world, or the, I'm sorry, the known uh, European world on Catholic church doors. Quite a different church thing. If you believe this, away with you. That's not winning many friends today, is it? That would not get you a lot of unlikes on Facebook and a lot of sad faces and angry faces. But in 1542, this was on every church door in October of 1542. Oh my, how church signs have changed. Friends, Habakkuk 2.4 reminds us this morning that the just shall live by faith. By faith. By faith. What is faith? What is faith? What does this mean? Well, you see, church signs can be silly and serious, but today we look at the serious one because, friends, what they, you just saw on a church sign matters to you because it matters where you will spend eternity. Look, I love fake church signs. Actually, David Letterman, I'm not promoting him while I am in a sense, but he used to have these funny church signs. You can go look it up. Have a great laugh on the Lord's Day at church signs. Amen? But here's a church sign that we take even more seriously because it determines whether or not you know Jesus. Because how you handle what was just put up on that church sign in 1542 handles whether or not you know Jesus to get it to go to heaven. So here's the big idea. And this is a quote from one of the old dead guys. As we study the 500-year Reformation that is still going today, he said this. He said, I'd rather be starved. I'd rather be tortured. I'd rather be murdered than to distort the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Wow. Is that a church sign worth dying for? Wow. Faith alone justifies. Faith alone preserves. Faith alone vindicates. And someday, a friend recently said, one day, faith alone will become sight alone. F sola fide will become sola optica. You don't need faith when you know what your Savior's eyes are. Because if you believe what we're going to teach today, guys, this revolutionizes everything that you are as a Christian. So this morning, two quick things. It's very simple. We're going to break down true Two truths about faith alone from Galatians 2. We're going to look at a definition. That's going to be our main thing. We're going to break down a definition, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. You see, even though you may not like history as much as I do, and I, I admit most people don't, and that's fine, guys, everything we go through today was something that people were willing to die for, literally die for. Crazy, isn't it? Would you go to the stake believing that Jesus alone was salvation? Or on the last minute when the executioner and they did this came up to you and said, you have one last chance to recant, will you do it? What would you say? Is the truth we're going to look at today so precious some 500 years on and, and even beyond that from the beginning of time because we've always believed this, is it so precious that we would be willing to do whatever necessary to keep it at all costs? This morning, faith alone. Last week, scripture alone. If you have your Bibles this morning, will you join me in standing for the reading of God's word as we do? Galatians chapter 2, and that's page 973 in the Blue Pew Bible if you don't have one. 973. 973. Could a church sign from another church really be that far off base? 
we'll look at that today. Galatians 2, chapter 2, verses 15 through 21 says, Paul writing to the church at Galatia, his first letter to a church that had mixed up the gospel with works, and he says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are to be found as sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Transgressor, rather. For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And many of you have this underlined in your Bibles. If you don't, I would encourage you to highlight it, underline it, memorize it. I, verse 20, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if the righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Friends, what we're doing here these next several weeks is not just an academic exercise. Literally, how you handle this question of do you believe you are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, in Jesus alone, impacts exactly where you will spend eternity. It gets down to brass tacks. And so much, not only where you spend eternity, but how you live your life right now. Do you live your life for the Son of God who loved you and died for you? That's what it all comes down to. You pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you so much, Father, that we can have a good chuckle about church signs. But, Father, oh, how things have changed, Lord. Even 500 years ago, how things were nailed on doors and the complete opposite effect was said. Father, would you give us wisdom this morning? Father, we believe that we are saved by faith alone. Father, let that just not be some great doctrinal cardinal truth we hold to. But, Father, in the most practical recesses of our lives, even where you search through the depths of our soul, may everything we hear today invigorate us, make us zealous just to to, to live and glorify, to share, to do everything for your glory. Father, that's what it's all about. Father, thank you that you died and you loved us. The God of Islam can't say that. The many millions of gods of Hinduism and the no God of atheism could never say that. Only you, the one true God in Christ, could have loved us so much. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you. So as we come to this, I just want to give you a working definition this morning. Uh, We are going to be talking about the great doctrine called justification. Justification, that's a big word. Now, parents, let me give you a very easy example of this. When uh, you know, when you tell your son or your daughter not to eat all that candy at Halloween, because you never do, right? You, they eat it all. Uh, my, my wife has smartly said we're going to have a kid tax. You know, you take 10% of all candies collected uh, and all that stuff. But you would tell them, you know, if you eat this candy, you're going to get sick. You can't eat candy the rest of your life and, and, and be healthy. It's going to make you sick. You would be justified in telling them that, wouldn't you? From experience, or, you know, um, man, you can think of lots of things. If you touch the stove and it's hot, it's going to burn you. You would be justified in warning a young person not to do that. When we say justification, what we are saying is God in his graciousness has declared a sinner solely by faith alone in Jesus Christ. God's basically done the parent thing and said, look, guys, 
I told you it's not by being a good person you get to me. It's not by going to church that you get to me. It's not by being baptized. It's by faith alone. And God has set us apart. If you notice there in verse 15, we're going to break down that definition or the, the three points today and see what it says. But if you notice at verse 16, you see what Paul said here? Three times in verse in the first two verses, actually, he references this justification. And three times in the first two verses, Paul references faith in Christ as justification. And three times in the first two verses, he says, we are not justified. You are not saved by works. You're not saved by being a good person. It's kind of like when your parents used to say, I'm going to beat this into your head. Whether that's literal or otherwise, that's up to you, I guess. But the point being, Paul says, guys, it is not by anything you can do, but it is by faith in Jesus Christ, believed in Jesus Christ, to be justified by faith in Christ. And he says it, the same thing, three times in a row to make sure that we are getting the point. It is by faith alone. Now, we know that. We know that. You believe that if you're a Christian. Why is this important to us? Well, I want to break down this definition and see why it's important and remind you before we take the Lord's Supper later today and also encourage you in your faith. And if you're not a Christian here today, this is basic Christianity 101. But I pray that God opens your eyes to see it. So let's break down this definition first off and going through the verses here. So justification, setting apart, declaring a sinner to be righteous is a gracious act of God. A gracious act of God is point number one. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that it's an act of God, as you'll see up on the screen? Number one, a gracious act of God. Because, friends, you are not saved by anything else. Notice what it says there in verse 16. It alludes to a psalm in Psalm 143.2. Verse 16 reads again, it says, We are not justified by works of the law because works of the law will justify no one. Psalm 143.2 reads, it says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Paul and the psalmist got the same message on the, the answering machine. No one can make himself right before God. No one except God can make a man or a woman, a child, a young, old person right. And the means to make them right is by faith in Christ. Friends, you've got to think about this. Do you realize, do you remember, do you recall that people today all over the world are going to church to make God think better of them? Most people do. Or they do things that God might look at them and say, wow, you, you, you're pretty good now. You're better than you were, you rascally person. You're a, little, you're a little cleaned up, so maybe I'll let you into heaven. Do you realize that outside of Christianity, this is what people try to do? It's all about them. It's all about how they can get to heaven. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that you are saved by grace through, if you know it, faith, not of our own doing. It is a gift of God. And so when we say that justification is a gracious act of God, what we are saying is that it is not something we can do for ourselves, but it is something that has been done for us. And all through Galatians 2, it is passive. It is God did this. God did this for you. God did that. It's not something done to the sinner and not it's something done to the sinner and not by the sinner. And so, friends, we know so many people who, if you go and ask them, how do you get to heaven? What are they going to say? You know, I'm a pretty good person. I pay my taxes most of the time. 
I don't steal. I took that extra ketchup bottle from, uh, you know, the uh, Chick-fil-A, or I took an extra Chick-fil-A sauce the other day. But, you know, God loved me. You know, God loves me still. I love my wife, you know, you know, whatever. But I, I'm a pretty good person. But Romans 3 reminds us so well that for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That's our activity. We are sinners. But it's passive because it goes on to say in Romans that we have now been freely justified by his grace. Romans 3.24 that's God's activity in our lives. But in the 1540s, as we were breaking away from the Catholic Church, Protestants had this said about them. There was a thing called the Council of Trent. That sounds really official, and it is. Several years of writing these things. But I want to read for you what I read at the upstart. And, and, and the Council of Trent said this. They said, if anyone, quote, says that by faith alone the sinner is justified, so to mean nothing else is required to obtain the grace of justification. Let him be anathema. Now, you can say that five times fast. You know what anathema means, guys? You take ev- the worst curse words that you could ever say, and you roll them up. You take them from every culture. You take them from every angle. You take them from every, and you put them in there, and that's what anathema means. It literally means that you are to get rid of someone, just like that. Did you hear that? The Catholic Church told us that what is required to get to heaven is not faith, but works. What did your scripture just say? How are you saved? Verse 16. Yet we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works, but because the works of the law may be there. What am I saying? What makes grace grace is that we can't achieve it. What Grace is, by its very nature, it must be given to us. And praise be to God, he's done that. Amen? Praise be to God, it goes totally against the grain of our natural thing. Look, Jesus plus fill-in-the-blank is a false gospel. The gospel says it is done. The gospel says it is finished. The religion said it is due. But the gospel is always this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. I'm not a math guy, but does that make sense? Total forgiveness plus perfect righteousness plus no condemnation for our sin plus separation from God's love means we can sleep well at night, guys. You want to sleep well tonight? It's not whether the Chiefs beat Deshaun Jackson and the uh, Tennessee, Tennessee, whoever they're playing tonight at 730. Texas, thank you. You have no condemnation for your sin. Think about that. You are free from your sin. There are people right now saying, ritual formula after ritual formula in churches all around the world, Christian and not, who are saying, Lord, if you'll just hear me, but Christian, the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, therefore, now being justified by faith, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The worst that you should have has been given you the best in Jesus Christ. Sleep well. The one who knows you the best loves you the most. I didn't say sleep like a baby. We have three kids. I don't know how, where in the world that expression came from. It's never happened for us. But you sleep like a beloved child of God, fully and eternally accepted in Jesus with no guilt in life and no fear in death. That's what faith alone provides, the gracious act of God. You know, I remember several years ago in Westport, my wife and I were down there uh, on a date day this past Friday, just hanging out, getting things done. And uh, I remember talking with two men from different religions on the street corner at Kelly's Bar, if you know where that's at, Westport and Penn. I won't ask why you know that, but I'll leave it right there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Basically, they were saying that all religions are all on the same. This isn't me. This is two guys talking. But 
one thing is I listened to them for a while, and they said, you know, everyone basically believes the same thing. We, we're all the same, so therefore, it, you know, it, we're good. Just believe everyone wants what they want to believe. It's fine. One was a Hindu. One was a practicing Muslim, or so they said. And after a while, I said to them, well, that's great. So am I understanding you right that at times it sounds like you're at the bottom of a mountain, and, and God, who, or whoever's at the top, kind of, if you take this path up the mountain, you know, you take the paved road, I, t- I climb up the rocks, but in the end, we all get there at the same place. And at two in the morning, I remember this very clearly, they looked at me and said, yes, you got it. You don't have to preach to us anymore. And I said, let me ask you a question. What would you think if God's at the top of the mountain and didn't want you to find your own way? What if God is at the top of the mountain and he himself came down to show you the way. And I remember the looks on their faces, and they said, that would be kind of cool. Well, guess what, guys? I got good news for you. (laughs) It's already happened. Jesus came down and died for us because justification, being set right in God's eyes, is a gracious act of God. It's not working hard. You get up this way, I get up that way. God came down to the mountain and took us straight back up by faith in Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? Christian, never lose that. Secondly, justification, we said, is a gracious act of God. I want to focus on this next one. This will be our main, main point. But by which, secondly, he declares a sinner righteous. Declares a sinner righteous. Now, I want you to know, as you read through Galatians 2, and Paul mentions this in several spots here, he, he does not say that you are saved by a process. You are not saved to go to heaven by, by, by a process. You know, uh, if you're a master carpenter or, a ma- you know, you become a journeyman and then a carpenter. If you're a pastor, you go to school and seminary usually, you know, whatever it is. But if you're a nurse, you go to nursing school. There's a process to become certified. But in Christian terms, there is not a process to become certified. To be declared righteous is a declaration. It is a set thing. It is, boom, not a process. And that's important, guys, because there are so many out there who believe that faith and works come together at some point, and there's a magical bell that goes, ding, 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 you're ready for heaven, you can die now. The language used throughout those who claim you must be a Christian and work your way to heaven or, 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 or be a good person to go to heaven is that we must increase our good works as we go along. I don't know about you, but the longer and deeper I get with Jesus Christ, the more heinous I see my sin, the more glorious I see my Savior. The Bible speaks in Galatians 2 of a once and for all declaration, and it concerns a guilty, rebellious man or woman like ourselves, and God takes us and declares us righteous. He says, not guilty. Now, how could God do that and still be just? We talked about this last April, but how could God be just and call the guilty not guilty? How could the holy, righteous rebels be called righteous? I mean, how does that work out? Well, let me give you a picture here. Imagine you're in a courtroom, and imagine there's a just judge, and there's a clear law, and there's a very guilty man. He knows it. The judge knows it. The lawyer who's getting paid a lot of money knows it. But in such a courtroom, the man gets an instant sentence, and he stands condemned for all of his law-breaking And he stands condemned for all of his law-keeping efforts because all those efforts have never been enough to take away the bad that he just did to get sentenced. 
and he pleads with him. He said, but, 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 but judge, I've done enough good to balance out the bad. Look, I stole five cars. I turned it into Grand Theft Auto, whatever it is. But judge, do you know how well I served a donuts and dad at my local elementary school? Do you know how well when my neighbor couldn't mow her lawn that I mowed her lawn for her? Or do you know at work when they took around that collection for that coworker who broke his leg, I put in a $100 bill to help that person out, and everyone else was just throwing in their extra lunch change. Come on, judge, you can't be that bad. Would any judge in his or her right mind look at that person and say, you know, man, you're a really good person. No. Sinful man has no case before a holy judge, especially one of the universe, because he stands condemned to die. And that's why during Easter, have you ever wondered why we call it Good Friday? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, Good Friday. Good Friday. You know what happens on Friday, right? Jesus dies during the Easter week. But shouldn't it be Sad Friday? I mean, Jesus dies. And that's pretty bad, right? But what if I told you that the, tomorrow you were sentenced to die, and, but when you woke up tomorrow to go to the place you're going to die, you received news that someone else had volunteered to die for you. Someone else had volunteered to die in your place. How would that make you feel? Hopefully pretty good, wouldn't it? That's why we call it Good Friday. Because someone else has said, you don't have to die today, but my perfect son, Jesus Christ, will die in your place. Not by works of the law, but all by faith. So someone else says, well, why would someone do that? Well, someone really would have to love you to do that. Of course it is. Friends, that's the gospel, isn't it? We read John 3 this morning, and John 3.16 reminds us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, because you deserve it. Whoa, are you awake now? Did you read that version? God so loved the world because you deserve it. You're pretty good looking, and you got good muscles. Amen? Boy, we all stand condemned, as was read by Tina for us. But another has volunteered to die in our place. And there's a big word I want you to know about this. How can a holy God declare a righteous rebel free. One big word. Teach your kids this word. The word is propitiation. Propitiation. That is a biblical word. That's not just a made-up word. God poured out all his wrath upon his son. And if you don't understand or believe in the wrath of God, the gospel will never thrill, empower, or move you. And on that cross, when Jesus and the, the wrath of God was thrown out, Basically, he died and he took it and he he saves us not just from our sins, but he saves us from the wrath of God to come. We aren't saved from our sin because of what a bunch of Roman soldiers did one day. We can only be saved from our sin because of what God ordained to do for his son on that day. And that was that the wrath would lay upon him. Jesus prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Psalm 75 says a cup was filled with a fury for sinner's sin. Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, Revelation 14 says the cup that Jesus spoke of was a cup of wrath. And Jesus was sweating blood because he was about to endure all that we owe to our sin. And it's like standing in front of a 10,000 mile wide dam that is wide and 10,000 miles high. And then just hitting a button, boop, and letting the water floodgates come out. That is literally a drop in the bucket, pun intended, of what it is to be under the wrath of God. The water came rushing on him, so to speak. The wrath came rushing on him like a torrent. And right before it was about to overtake us, the ground in front of our feet, all of it opened up, and it went straight down. That's our God. So at the cross, 
Jesus took the full weight of God's wrath for you and for me. He drank it down every last stop. He drank down every last cup, and he cried out, it is finished, and it is done. Friends, would you be willing to die for that truth? Have we so gotten casual, complacent, routine, because you know that truth. You've grown up with that truth, most of you in this room. But do you remember that that truth alone saves you? Second thing I want you to know is that when God declares a sinner righteous, it's not only because Jesus took on the wrath of God, but he also had the imputed, the imputation. That's a big word. Basically, God credits the righteousness of his son to sinners like you and me. God made him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me give you an illustration this way. Um, You know, uh, it kind of goes like this. Um, God credits us like himself. He gives us that that, that imputation, the righteousness. And what this means, it's kind of like this. I, I hope my, this is an illustration. My wife was working when we were, before we were getting married and I was a seminary student, or almost done with it, and was done, and, and I didn't have a lot of money in the bank account, okay? Let's just say that. If you've ever been in seminary, you live off the food pantry and whatever funds you can get. And I remember when Natalie and I met, she had finished up school or a couple years back. She had served overseas as a missionary, but she had a job. She had what you might call cash flow. You walking with me? I was a student. I had free food coming each month from the food pantry. I had no cash flow. See what I'm saying? Natalie was working and had a job, and I was working as a youth pastor, but as a youth pastor part-time, that wasn't much, And but she had cash flow. She wasn't rolling in the dough, but she had more than I did. She had cash flow. Do you see what I'm saying? So after waiting for a few months to be married and after getting engaged, we finally stood with each other in front of our friends and family in Norman, Oklahoma, Trinity Baptist Church, April 3rd, several years ago, ready to commit our lives, and the most important thing I got on that day was my beautiful godly wife. Amen? But do you know what else I got? Cash flow. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? One minute I had nothing in my bank account, mind you. But all I had to do was say I do, and all this money kept flowing in. <laughs> all of a sudden, what was hers became mine, and she got all of mine, whatever that was. I didn't have to go and, and teach her kids that she was teaching at the time, or, or actually working at the YMCA uh, or the health club there in Oklahoma City. But uh, simply because my life was united with hers, I had everything that she had. We had cash flow. You're just going to go home and say cash flow now, I know. (laughs) But in a much greater way, when we say that we are justified by faith alone, that Christ took on the propitiation of wrath, your life in Jesus Christ, everything of yours, everything of his has now become yours. Do you see that? That's the great truth of faith alone. His righteousness has been credited to your account, not based on anything you've done, not based on anything you'll do, but completely based on who he is. And you don't have cash flow, you have grace flow. I don't know if that's a word, but it just became one. Friends, you have that because of Christ. Justification, faith alone, is a gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous, a rebellious sinner righteous, and finally, Solely through faith, number three, in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that alone makes my heart just well up. Have you ever tried to work so hard to please someone, and you come at the end of the day and you say, here it is, and they just look at you and they just take a page. I can rip this out as I'm done with these notes. And they just go like this. 
your work is meaningless. You ever had someone do that to you? You work hard, and you give it your all, and you just get down to the nitty-gritty, and they look at your work, and they say, not good enough, away. Maybe that's your boss. Maybe it's your spouse. I don't know. But, friends, through faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to worry whether we're accepted by God. Faith alone, apart from works, justifies. Faith alone, but the faith that does not produce good works is not real faith. That's what we know. If you say you're a Christian and you don't walk in the manner worthy of a Christian life for a time, we would question whether or not you truly know. Anyone who believes in salvation by faith alone, according to the Catholic Church, should be, should be put away, should be eternally condemned forever and ever. What Rome didn't realize is that salvation by faith alone is our only way to avoid being condemned. I focused on this verse, almost this whole sermon on this verse, but Galatians 2.16, I just want you to underline, just get this one in your head, guys. But just as he says, we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also who believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be declared righteous. No one can enter heaven apart from Christ. Philippians jailer in Acts 16. If you remember the story, there was a big earthquake and all the jail cells opened in Acts 16 and all the uh, the people were supposed to rush out. But Paul said, look, jailer, we're still here. And the man falls down on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved, Paul? Well, go and be a good person. Go get baptized. Go say confirmation. Go say a thousand Hail Marys. Go do talk to a shaman. Go worship the gods of Hinduism. Go do all these things. Praise God he didn't. He said one phrase, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Yet, it was said in the 1540s by the church at Rome, if you confess with your mouth, uh, basically they said, if anyone says that faith justifies or that by trust alone you are justified, let him be anathema forever. Romans 10.9, a want of people, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. He said, believe it, believe me. He said, don't just believe it because I said it, but believe, well, that too, but believe it because this is what everyone else has always believed. It's what it's always been about. Trust him, rest in him. Brothers and sisters, this is not legal fiction. This is gospel truth. You are saved not by you. You are saved by Jesus Christ. And in a world, I'm only as good as what I've done or haven't done. And can I offer you a soul Uh, basically soul-felt thanksgiving for justification by faith alone. You want a reason to rejoice today? Is that you are accepted by God through Christ. You want a reason to rejoice today? You're accepted not because of what you'll do, who you are, but because of Christ. And this doctrine has massive implications for our lives. I want to get there as we close. But we can spend the rest of the year, the rest of eternity talking about this. I counted up, uh, Jim, I was looking at you in the corner of my eye. You've read this book. You actually read my book, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Yeah, a book uh, literally that accounts over and details all the Christians who have died uh, through centuries, but especially since that time. If, I, if my calculations are correct, I don't get this wrong. There's at least 3,000 known burnings and executions for people who believe this message right here. Why would anyone, Pastor, that's just weird. Why would anyone ever do that to someone else simply because they believe this. Friend, because once you believe that Jesus is your Savior, it changes radically everything in your life. It changes culture. It changes your family. It changes your eternity. It changes how you do everything. 
And let's look at four of those today. First, and it's very straightforward, but believing this redefines our lives. Four implications of sola scriptura. Paul says that because of this doctrine, he considers himself dead, dead to the law, dead to in favor before God, dead to himself. He no longer lives, verse 20, Galatians 2, but he now lives through Christ. The imputation that we talked about, God giving us faith and giving us the, the grace flow, leads to an eternally new identity. Paul is no longer known, not known by his accomplishments. You can look this up in Philippians 3, but he's known that Christ died for him and he lives in him. Martin Luther said, by faith you were so cemented to Christ that he and you are one person, which can't be separated, but will remain attached forever. John Calvin, one of the great reformers, said, Christians, Christians don't live by his own life, but he is animated by the secret power of Christ. Friends, you are justified by faith alone, but now you live by faith alone. We are not saved only to leave it behind in our lives. Here's this. Christ loved you enough to die for you 2,000 years ago, and Christ loves you enough to live in you today. Darren, I had a really bad morning. I sinned the same sin that I did again and again and again. Does Jesus still love me? The answer, praise God, is yes. Why does God do that? Because he loves you. He died for you. He wants relationship with you, although he doesn't need it. He's not a needy God. But he enables you with his sustenance. He enthralls you with his joy. He empowers you with his strength. And to trust him above all things is what the Christian life is all about. Friends, sometimes we can believe by faith alone, but very practically, we can be very dogmatic about, yes, you're not saved by works, but, but we try and please God so much by how we keep our relationship with him. God, I, I've been praying about this a long time. I promise you, I'll read my Bible more. Lord, I'll go to church every day of the week. If, if all those doors are open, if they're not, I'll, may, I'll camp out here before the camp out and pray to you if you'll just answer this question. Friends, Faith alone is also practical to our salvation, but it also redefines how we pray. We pray in faith alone and leave that at God's feet, just as we did our salvation. Whatever it is, we pray for it fervently. We pray big or go home. We pray with all those things. We have not because we ask not. But one thing I need you to remember is by faith alone means that in every area of your life, you trust it to God. How easy it is to say, I'm saved by faith alone, but not trust God for the very things that we pray for because we have to do something about it. I can remember just a few years ago, and I, 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 I'll be honest with you, I, I hedge whether I should share this, but I want you to see this. I think a long time ago as a pastor, uh, as a youth pastor and applying for churches and all these things, I'd released a book and, you know, all these things, and, and people were asking me to write here and write there. And I say this just so you can learn from it. I was asked to preach at different places. In the middle of it all, my time with the Lord was inconsistent at best. People kept knocking and calling. Darren, can you come talk to us? Darren, can you come talk to us? And it scares me to think how successful I can be in a ministry, how successful you can be in life apart from intimacy with Jesus Christ. I praise God for his protection of my life during those days, especially through my wife, and think of all the different directions it could have gone. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't lazy. I was working hard, staying up all night, getting up early, and but I was doing it all in the flesh. And I wasn't walking day by day in faith. I was walking day by day in how much strength a 27, 28-year-old Darren could do and muster for that day. And instead of dying to myself, I was depending on myself. And that's when the Lord reminded me that by faith alone are you saved, Darren, but by faith alone do you live the daily Christian life through all the stuff that it is. Don't celebrate justification by faith alone and do ministry, do life in the flesh, guys. 
life you live is now lived by faith in the Son of God who loved you 2,000 years ago on a cross. And believing this redefines your life, how you live. Second implication is this, and you'll see it up there. Proclaiming this is worthy of our death. Proclaiming this is worthy of our death. If this is true, then we must make this doctrine known. This is the impetus to go as missionaries. This is the impetus to go knock on that neighbor who keeps you up all night blaring their music instead of just saying, I'm going to call the cops. Hey, do you know Jesus? Can we can you turn that down? I want to talk to you about Jesus. This is the impetus to give our lives so that men and women across the USA, across the world can do this. This is where we need to be careful not to miss this point. The martyrs of the Reformation didn't die simply because they believed the gospel. They died because they proclaimed the gospel. Friends, you don't just get bad relationships and bad vibes from people because you believe in Jesus. You get it when you push that line and say, hey, really, no, do you really believe Jesus if you die tonight? That's when the rubber really meets the road in our lives. They didn't die because they studied it. They died because they spoke it. And persecution only comes with proclamation. Look, you know, I've told you a story before of Charles Wesley when he was on the horse and he was driving by on his horse and he's just saying, Lord, am I a Christian? I haven't been persecuted in days for you. You remember the story? I've told you this before. The rock comes out of nowhere and goes, boom. His neighbor hated his guts. And so his neighbor, when he saw him come by, threw a big rock at him and knocked him off. And he said, praise God, I know I'm a Christian. Now, I'm not saying go out and just rile up persecution. But look, if you stay silent about the gospel, then you're free from persecution. Only when you speak do you step into persecution. And that's what these guys who broke away 500 years ago did because this doctrine of faith alone was a life and death, eternal issue. They shared it in their homes. They taught it in their churches. They proclaimed it in their towns. Or, or, or to put it this way, they shared it on Facebook. They proclaimed it in their cubicle. And they taught it wherever else you may go these days. And they counted it all they had. They counted it all they had. When you know the depths of God's love for you, friend, you will lose your life for your salvation if that's what it comes to. Thirdly, and I want you to see this, because I'm justified by God in Christ, I have nothing to prove. That should free a lot of you in this room right now. Because even coming to church, it's a show sometimes. Man, i got to go to church because if I don't go to church, they're not going to think I'm as holy as I used to be. Aren't you grateful that you're free from that? doesn't mean you're not who you are. You are who you are. God's made you who you are. But you are free from trying to prove to us who God has made you to be. Just let God work through you humbly, faithfully. Lastly is this. You're no less saved on your worst day and no more saved on your best day. Amen? Wow. Anyone have a bad day this week? Anybody? Be honest. One bad day in this whole congregation. Aaron, thank you for being honest, brother. That's awesome. Aaron, I don't know. I, we're just kind of going to give you a group hug afterwards, I think, man, or something. Guys, you are no more. Because of this, because Christ has justified you by faith, you are saved in him forever. There's no more, well, if I'm a Christian today or I feel this way and all these things. Look, if you are truly in Jesus, you are truly in Jesus. That should stir your soul, friends, because you don't have to prove to Jesus that you're a Christian anymore. You just live by faith in the Son of God. He'll take care of it. I'll end with this story. There's a guy, one of these 3,000-ish who died named Rollins White. He was a fisherman who couldn't read, and his son had been taught to read, and so his son could read the Bible to them. They were in England in around the 1600s. And in the process, 
when his son started reading the Bible to him, Rollins White, a fisherman, illiterate fisherman, came to believe that salvation by faith saved him. And when his belief became public, he was part and ready to die. And when the people came knocking on his door, because it was against the law, literally, to believe that Jesus alone saved him, he stood where his family was, and they were weeping. And when they sat down, White, they took him to the stake, and the priest started speaking to him. And he asked him one more time, do you want to recant of this false doctrine? And White said, do you presume to show by Scripture your false doctrine? Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. And then they lit his face on fire. His whole body was consumed. And his wife stood clapping and praising God that he would give his life for this very thing. Friends, am I saying that you should be burned to this? No, please don't take that. But please know, we are saved at the great cost of Jesus Christ. And we are saved by faith alone. We cannot partner theologically with anyone who would deny this truth. There's a line in the sand. And it's either Jesus' outstretched arms or it's everything else. Praise God that Jesus' outstretched arms are enough. Amen. Let's go before the Lord as we pray. Father, we come before you today ready to partake of the Lord's Supper after our next song. But, Lord, I thank you that we know this truth so well. We know this congregation well enough to know this is so well. But, Father, may we remember the great cost that it came, not just the guys who died many years ago, although we look back to them and praise God for their faithful example, but ultimately to your son, Lord, who, who at the cost of everything gave us everything. Father, thank you that while on that cross Jesus died for our sins, and that is enough, Father, that we place our faith in you, we can be saved. Father, what a great truth. What a great practical living. I pray for anyone in here who is trying to live by faith alone in salvation, but by trying to live by works alone in how they handle themselves day by day. May we break from that and trust you to be our sufficient supplier of all needs, spiritual and material. Father, may our prayers be elevated so high that we believe that it is not by our working or conjuring or manipulating circumstances to answer prayers the way we want them to, but it's by trusting your sovereign plan for us. Father, work among us. Grow us closer to Christ. Thank you, Lord that we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. We pray this today in Jesus' name.